and darker days are drawing near. The winter winds will be much colder. Now you're not here. I'll watch the south across the autumn sky and one by one they disappear I wish that I was flying Well, uh, good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley, and this show is called Gray Matters. Jim Dwyer, my partner, is out, so we got lots of little fun things to say. My regular engineer is back early, but uh, the Liz is engineering this evening as part of the pinch-hitting status down here on this fine station. And just to mention the her freeform show on Tuesday nights between 10 and 12 is always outstanding. And it's part of a great night of radio here on WCBN with uh, Train to Scottville at 7 with Brian Tomzik and the Rockabilly Were- Werewolf. Two hours of Rockabilly with Del Villarreal. Always recommended Tuesday nights for your listening pleasure here on this fine station. Boy. Today was a perfect day. What a relief from all of this doggone heat. And uh, just to mention, just about a week ago, NASA actually yet again came out with a report. I believe this was the 16th or the 17th consecutive month in which the global temperature of planet Earth is at an all-time high. And July being the hottest the Earth has ever been. Just last week here in the United States of America. I see fire, I see rain. Famous song by James Taylor. One of his better songs. I love that song. Some of James Taylor's stuff is a little corny, but uh, that's a great song. And of course we had these wildfires out in California that are terrible, as usual. More wildfires in other places out west. But, of course, the rain in Louisiana uh, is causing even political um, snafus in our system. I did want to give a brain damage award out to Donald Trump for going down to Louisiana to make a, a point, a photo op. I don't know what the point is. Donald Trump can't provide any flood assistance to the people that are beleaguered down there. I think we're talking about 40,000 houses, and very few of them have flood insurance. And I'm kind of wondering why. Louisiana, for the record, is ground zero for global climate change. Louisiana is predicted, half of it is predicted to be almost gone in 100 years, the way global temperatures are rising. Louisiana is losing, from what I've read, uh, from reputable scientific information regarding the wetlands, over two football fields per hour as the sea 
gets warmer and encroaches. And, of course, the reason we've had all of this ghastly, humid weather here in uh, the eastern United States is that the air moisture is the highest it's ever been measured. This is the science, by the way, of climate change. Yes, weather has differentials because of the uh, jet stream, the wind patterns, the collisions of highs and lows, the way air comes from Canada and the Atlantic Ocean that affects our weather here in Michigan, and, and of course the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico, um, pushing up that hot, humid Gulf air in conjunction with the jet stream has created these unusually hot and humid conditions pretty much <laughs> from Denver, Colorado all the way to Boston, Massachusetts. Perhaps some little areas of Maine and perhaps some little areas of the UP have been spared this ghastly humidity and heat. But it's been tough. And uh, you wonder, uh, one, you know, today without Jim being here, I was going to maybe highlight a couple of uh, my favorite things that I've read this summer uh, in as far as what I call the big picture. And one of the interesting articles I read uh, earlier this summer is by Naomi Klein. Uh, she's a regular columnist in The Nation magazine, Canadian citizen. She wrote a book recently about uh, climate change. And, of course, uh, Canadians are affected by climate change as well. There's some evidence that Canada actually may benefit from some warming. They may have more areas of Canada where agriculture can thrive. But her interesting article, Let Them Drown, The Violence of Othering in a Warming World, in the June 2nd edition of the London Review of Books, has some very interesting observations about uh, global warming and climate change and whatnot. And perhaps maybe one of the most interesting sections of this two-page article in the June 2nd edition of the London Review of Books is uh, what is based on a book by Israeli architect, The Conflict Shoreline, in which Klein writes, has a groundbreaking take on how these forces are intersecting. The forces in the Middle East are, quote, being squeezed in the pincer of violence caused by fossil fuels on the one hand and the impact of burning fossil fuel on the other the main way we've understood, and I'm quoting from Klein here, the border of the desert in the Middle East and North Africa, he explains, is the so-called aridity line. Now, that might not be a word that you're familiar with, but that's arid with the itty at the end. Aridity line. Areas where there is an average of 200 millimeters of rain a year. 200 millimeters. 
that's uh, remarkable. <laughs> that's uh, that's arid, and this map shows the aridity line that extends pretty much through Mali, Niger, through the Sudan, around parts of Ethiopia into Somalia, forms a kind of a little, well, it almost looks like Donald Trump's hairdo. <laughs> uh, and on the northern border, it's pretty much uh, from Mauritania through Algeria, Tunis, Libya, Syria, Iraq, Iran, parts of Afghanistan, and Pakistan. There are featured on this map, interestingly, about uh, eight or nine red dots. These, by the way, are the dots that reflect where American drones are dropping bombs from the sky by remote control. Warfare of the 21st century is upon us. It may become more surreal than we want to believe. You know, we had an incident, a couple of, uh, a tragic, terrible incident in Dallas, Texas, a couple of uh, months ago. It was part of that spasm of violence uh, in, in early July uh, in which... Uh, Five Dallas police officers were assassinated by a radical African-American black nationalist who just happened to serve in the American military. He assassinated these Dallas police officers in response to police violence that had been captured on cell phones that were broadcast somewhat unedited by our media. And he took matters into his own hands. It sort of emerged that he grew up as a kind of an ordinary kid in the Texas area. Was in the chorus, sang in the gospel. Everyone said he was quiet, well-mannered, well-groomed. But something happened to him while he served in the military. And this aridity line, by the way, even does extend into parts of India, the Indian subcontinent. But it is fascinating that in recent months and weeks, we've had reports uh, issued by the Obama administration about the new drone policy uh, regarding uh, the use of drones. And drones, of course, have killed civilians in some cases. Uh, the only country that America is attacking that's not in the aridity line, interestingly, with drones um, are in the Sudan, the Niger, the country Niger, Chad, and uh, Ethiopia, and India, of course, we, and Iran. We have not dropped any drones on Iran. But one of the featured um, countries in, as part of the aridity line of course, is in Syria. Now, there are many controversial theories about uh, the drought in Syria, but uh, I'll just quote from uh, the author Ayal Wiseman in Naomi Klein's article in which he points out, quoting from Klein here, that the Syrian border city of Dara, 
falls directly in the aridity line. Dara is where Syria's deepest drought on record brought huge numbers of displaced farmers in the years leading up to the outbreak of the Syrian civil war. And it's where the Syrian uprising broke out in 2011. Drought wasn't the only factor in bringing tensions to a head, but the fact that 1.5 million people were internally displaced in Syria as a result of the drought clearly played a role. And I think that is an important point to make about the carnage in Syria. Uh, a couple of weeks, uh, maybe about a week ago, there was a poignant picture of a, a young boy uh, in an ambulance who'd been hit by, um, well, he was wounded from an airstrike. Uh, the airstrike presumably had been orchestrated by Russia, not by the United States and its drones, but the Syrian conflict is so convoluted in which we see regional powers like Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey uh, involved in the conflict. And, of course, we have superpowers with their various, and I'm throwing in Russia as a sort of a former superpower, throwing its muscle around in the Syrian conflict. They, of course, are backing Assad and the United States has foolishly gotten involved in this conflict very peripherally, supporting some rebel groups that are essentially being bankrolled by Saudi Arabia. ISIS is losing territory in Syria. This may come as a surprise to Donald Trump. What he reads and where he gets his information is anybody's guess. Uh, fortunately, I brought in my pocket copy of the American Constitution, speaking of Trump just for a second, he uh, claimed a couple of weeks ago on the campaign trail that Hillary Clinton wanted to abolish the Second Amendment. That assertion, of course, is false. Uh, the President of the United States cannot abolish any amendments, and the Second Amendment um, has been interpreted over the years, by the way, to both allow for the personal possession of firearms, but it is also permitted um, states and lo localities to control guns uh, at some level for various reasons. Even Justice Scalia in the infamous Heller decision that came out a couple of weeks ago, made that observation. And I'm a little unclear if Trump knows anything about Heller or constitutional law. But just for the record to uh, enlighten Mr. Trump, and by the way, I'm never embarrassed down here to attack Donald Trump. I think the man is a complete idiot, and I think that Trump long ago abandoned any sense of decency as a human being. His ideas are scary. I don't like him. He's a moron, and he may become our president. 
But when I hear a debate in the media that's been roiling about for the last several weeks regarding the so-called Edward R. Murrow moment that journalists are confronted with, uh, Jim Rutenberg wrote a very interesting column a couple of weeks ago. Jim Rutenberg, by the way, has sort of de facto replaced David Carr uh, as as uh, the, the mediator is what his column is called. David Carr passing away a, co- a little over a year ago, as I recall. Uh, and he was one of my favorite columnists in the New York Times. But Rutenberg writes a little bit in this article, the challenge Trump poses to objectivity regarding the whole problem with covering Donald Trump. He writes, covering Mr. Trump as an abnormal and potentially dangerous candidate is more than just a shock to the journalistic system. It threatens to throw the advantage of the news conference-averse opponent Hillary Clinton, who should draw plenty more tough-minded coverage herself. She's proved that again last week when she made an assertion on the Fox News Sunday show that James Comey, director of the FBI, had declared her to be truthful in her answers about her decision to use a private email server for critical State Department business, a grossly misleading interpretation of the FBI report. But let's face it, balance has been on vacation since Mr. Trump entered the race. He goes on to point out, in which he discusses the so-called Edward R. Murrow moment based on an article in the Columbia Journalism Review about this issue of balance and Mr. Trump, who, of course, Hillary Clinton made a semantic mistake using the claim that she'd been truthful. Uh, The distinction that FBI Director Comey made before Congress was that the difference between Hillary Clinton's situation and, say, David Petraeus was that Hillary Clinton had, quote, not lied to the FBI about the email server, that Hillary Clinton's predecessor, one of her predecessors, Colin Powell, had used such a system, and that she actually even consulted Colin Powell, who, of course, like Hillary Clinton, was a bit of a celebrity Secretary of State uh, because of all of the previous noise, shall we say, in the media about potentially Colin Powell running for president. This, of course, was many years ago. Colin Powell eventually endorsed Barack Obama, very interestingly enough. And we've seen Donald Trump even attempt to politicize the tragedy, the tragedies in Louisiana involving the displacement of tens of thousands of people, in which 40,000 homes are probably, for all intents and purposes, uh, going to be very difficult to live in in the upcoming months. In fact, Louisiana will undoubtedly get more rain in upcoming weeks, and hurricanes, the hurricane season lasts until the middle of November, as we know. 
But uh, the brouhaha about Hillary Clinton's emails are not comparable to some of Donald Trump's outrageous statements uh, that he that he's made over the past several months, essentially since the beginning of his campaign. Um, Trump, of course, is in in my opinion, is genuinely a <clears throat> troubled personality who's running for president for reasons that have never, I think, really been disclosed. I don't buy the kinder, gentler Trump that is trying to be spun that we've seen in recent days. Uh, Paul Manafort, of course, was forced to resign uh, due to ongoing media investigations into his business connections to former dictators in the Ukraine. And, of course, Trump himself has made some awfully strange comments about Vladimir Putin. Um, and Obama wisely did not go to Louisiana. The president going down to a rescue, emergency rescue situation, um with FEMA and local volunteers and that sort of thing is not a situation where the president of the United States should show up. The president of the United States cannot do anything constructive at that moment. Now he's going there tomorrow. Uh, George W. Bush, of course, got into trouble with Katrina, not because he didn't show up. He showed up late. But what got him into trouble was going on television and publicly telling Mr. Brown, he said, hell of a job, Brownie, when the situation was a total disaster. And then, of course, it emerged that Brown had no credentials to be a FEMA director. He was an expert on judging horses. He got his job as the result of patronage. He had no understanding of FEMA operations. And Barack Obama, in his FEMA director, Mr. Fugate, has appointed somebody that has experience in actually dealing with FEMA disasters. He was the state director of Florida uh, during the hurricanes of 2004. He's probably even a Republican. Um, so it's the competence issue. It's the, you know, yes, Bush did a flyover of New Orleans that was a photo op gone awry. But what people forget about the flyover of New Orleans uh, back in 2005 during Hurricane Katrina was that while Hurricane Katrina was unleashing its fury, on the city of New Orleans, and that one could see, if one looked at the news, never mind the Weather Channel, just the news, that this was a can't-miss hurricane, that this hurricane was barreling right towards New Orleans with a rather large uh, force, and that this hurricane was going to be exceedingly destructive. Of course, it's not just the wind with the hurricanes, it's the water. It's the spiraling wave that we see. And when you see that perfect eye that Katrina demonstrated uh, 24 hours before it actually hit the area of New Orleans, you knew that 
that this was packing a punch, that this looked like the Milky Way, <laughs> that this looks like what we what we see in science, a perfect spiral with massive waves in which, you know, the, the water surge is going to extend out 80 to 100 miles in both directions. And, of course, uh, often the uh, worst affected areas of a hurricane are the bands of the of the hurricane where the water surge particularly on the east side of uh, where the eye of the hurricane hits are particularly bad and of course the flooding in new orleans was the result of the levee system declining but before bush did his flyover he was actually out in san diego praising America's war in Iraq. Uh, he was using the occasion to appear on a. It was it was not mission accomplished. That that speech was given amazingly in two thousand and three, but it was a uh, a victory lap for for reasons that remain unclear because the situation in Iraq uh, was deteriorating as we as Bush spoke. So Bush's cluelessness about praising Brown, and I'm forgetting his first name. He, of course, was eventually forced to resign because it turned out he was woefully unqualified for his position. He was a judge of horses, a beauty judge. Don't know if he's ever seen Donald Trump on a horse or as an enter entrant in a uh, beauty contest for horses. But maybe that will be Donald Trump's next career. He does have a lovely mane. But I wanted to read Article 5 of the American Constitution to clue Trump in about what it takes to actually amend the Constitution. Uh, growing up in high school, there was a amendment called the ERA Amendment, Equal Rights Amendment. And it failed. And the reason it failed was 38 states didn't ratify it. Got up to 35 and then it ran into the Confederacy, where they, of course, invented all sorts of mythical problems with the ERA Amendment. And the ERA Amendment remains unratified to this day, thanks to the Confederacy. But anyway, Article 5 gives the details in the American Constitution about what it takes to actually amend the Constitution. It says the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses... That means both the House and the Senate shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to the Constitution, or in the application of two-thirds of the states shall call a convention for proposing an amendment, which in either case, in other words, the states themselves can directly amend the Constitution, but it would take two-thirds of them to do so. And guess what? To actually ratify the amendment, it takes three-quarters of the states, in addition to what I just mentioned, both the House and the Senate, with two-thirds votes. So amending the Constitution, of course, is a very difficult process. The Second Amendment was part of the infamous Bill of Rights that was installed uh, largely by the work of James Madison, uh, the Federalist Papers, of course, one of the great documents of the founding of our republic.
and I wish Donald Trump would spend a little less time making personal attacks on people and a little more time maybe reading some of the actual history of the founding of our republic. It would behoove his candidates if he, if he did so. Now, I understand that today he was back out tweeting on Twitter, attacking Joe Scarborough and uh, his uh, sidekick, uh, Ms. Brzezinski. Joe Scarborough, by the way, is actually mentioned in the Rutenberg comment. This is interesting because Rutenberg writes, Mr. Scarborough shared an alarming conversation, he said, he had with a foreign policy expert who had given Donald Trump a national security briefing. Three times he asked about the use of nuclear weapons. Mr. Scarborough, Mr. Scarborough said, describing one of the questions, as, if we have them, why can't we use them? Uh, this apparently was a question that Trump asked a couple of times. Speaking with me later, Mr. Scarborough, a Republican, said that he had not contemplated sharing this anecdote with the audience until just before he did. He said, quote, when the discussion came down, came up, I really didn't have a choice, Mr. Scarborough said. He said it was something I thought the American people needed to know. Well, indeed, <laughs> uh, when we have a uh, presidential candidate questioning the Wisdom of uh, the American government fulfilling its debt obligations, for instance. Trump did that openly uh, many months ago. Uh, now, apparently, he's going to attempt a walk back on his outrageous proposal to deport 11 million people. Mr. Trump, Arizona and New Mexico combined are about the size of your favorite country, the Ukraine. Why don't you look up what happened to the Nazis when they decided to invade the Soviet Union in uh, World War II and how difficult it was to deport people. The Nazis did deport people. They gassed them. We are out of time down here on Gray Matters. You have been listening to uh, Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks to The Liz for engineering this evening. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling, coming up next on this fine station. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Peg Leg Howell in the background. 
with Eddie Anthony on the violin doing the peg leg stomp, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. 